0: for more ways to engage with cryptocurrency during your day and week one of the best ways is to follow us on our social channels you can check us out on twitter youtube instagram linkedin facebook and tiktok we even have a private telegram channel for all of those who check into our weekly clubhouse sessions so if you aren't following us yet or had a chance to see our latest content please give us a follow today you can find the links to our socials in our show notes and on our website. All right,
1: everybody. We're gonna get into our next panel here in just a moment. So if you are in the networking space and you'd like to come back over for this exciting panel on DeFi, we're gonna get this thing started for you. Please join me in welcoming to the stage, Michael Johnstone, the CEO of Smysty, Mo Ahmad, the, a Web3 engineer at Dow, and Kiefer Jennings, an analyst at Arcade Ventures. Please give them a warm round of applause.
2: Good afternoon, everyone. How are y'all?
3: Yeah, great to be here with everybody. Great to be here with the two of you also. Um, Like I said, I'm Michael Johnstone. Um, Excited to be here with Kiefer and Mo. And I think before we start digging into DeFi, I'll take just a moment to let each of you introduce yourselves. Uh, Let us know what you're doing now and and how you got into the space. Uh, Kiefer, do you want to go first?
2: Sure. So my name is Kiefer Jennings. I'm an analyst with Arcade Ventures. It's a small venture capital fund on a chain called ICX. Uh, we use node inflation to fund our ventures. Uh, we're currently developing an NFT project and hopefully more to come. I've uh, been in, been doing this since January of this year, been in the crypto space since 2020. Uh, previously, I was a utility scale project developer in the utility space for energy.
3: That's great. Mo? Yeah, uh,
4: my name is Mo Min Ahmad. Uh, most people just call me Mo. Uh, currently, I'm a Web3 engineer at a project called DebtDAO. DebtDAO is building uh, structured debt products for other DAOs in a permissionless manner. Uh, before that, I was with a, a company called Credmark, and uh, they were building essentially data APIs for on chain data. And uh, overall, I've been involved in the space since 2018.
3: That's great. You know, it's great to be here with both of you. Uh, Let's see, the DeFi market is supposed to have at least 77 billion in assets today. Um, That makes it a mid-sized bank in the US, I think it ranks around number 38 in total size. So not small, um, not the biggest, but growing rapidly, probably growing faster than any other bank, um, if it were one bank. There's a lot of moving parts of it. I think one of the places that would be great to start is actually just laying out a framework for what is DeFi. I'd love to understand where you think the boundaries are and where does it drop off or dip into other parts of of crypto.
2: So uh, one interesting way to start this out is asking the audience a question here. Uh, If a five-year-old were to ask you right now, what is money? Could you reliably answer that question? Put your hand up if you think so. One person, two. (laughs) Okay, a few of y'all. All all right. So before we start talking about what is DeFi and what is decentralized finance, like what is money is a big question that we need to be asking ourselves. And, uh, you know, there's two functions of money. One, a store of value. Two, can it be easily uh, identified and transacted with if you want to purchase something else? Uh, Crypto has got the store of value side in spades. We've got great fundamentals. We're like the WNBA. And real money, um, which is like uh, dollars, euros, it's readily accepted everywhere, even if they don't have the store of value down. And, you know, our big question is, how do we build up our fan base for the WNBA so we can start making the real bucks like the the NBA itself? And uh, I think part of that comes in like the moments of experiencing things like DeFi, You can give the technical definition for it, but until you really experience it, you don't know what it is. Like, uh, there's some people here in the audience who might be old enough to remember the first time their debit card was able to buy them something on the weekend that they previously never could. Uh, Previously, they used a debit card to withdraw cash and hope it was enough for the weekend. And that was how everyone used debit cards when they first came out. And then one day you ran out of cash and you actually used it on the weekend. It was like, whoa, I can just use this instead. And now most of us who are my age or younger probably don't even carry cash. We just have a debit card and a credit card. Uh, couldn't tell you the last time we touched a $20 bill. Whereas my grandma still balances her, her, her checking account by hand at the end of every month to make sure that like it's all in a line whereas you would never think about doing that. And you know, what is your moment in DeFi And that's a moment where you've gotten to use DeFi and it was better than cash. I remember once, I'm a big degenerate in the crypto space. It was 4 a.m. and I needed to borrow $3,000 to participate in an Estonian NFT project at launch. And I was like, where am I going to get $3,000 from? And uh, I hopped on a crypto lending platform, decentralized, and no credit check, no nothing. I was like, here is my ETH and There's my USDC. And the the interest rate at the time was crazy. It was like like 41%. Um, (laughs) But it was only for three days. And being able to use it and have it work seamlessly and then pay it off and having made money was something you can't do in the real sector. And that was my real experience where I was like, oh, this is what DeFi is. And, you know, as it expands, you've heard examples today of uh, decentralized real estate, a a bar that you can own through crypto. It's turning what were previously brick and mortar financial operations into uh, on-chain financial operations, the snap of a finger great yeah that's what paul said
4: uh yeah for me i think d- to that last point you said uh for me defi is is the standardization of how the world engages with each other uh in terms of uh, money since crypto transcends boundaries you know when it, i use uniswap it's the exact same experience as someone else using uniswap uh, i guess barring you know various vpn issues here in the us that notwithstanding um i can i can trade on the nyse People in the rest of the world can't, but in crypto and in DeFi, that those barriers theoretically shouldn't be there. Uh, and because it's not, we're not operating under you know, various jurisdictions, uh, the rules of the game are, are dictated by like, things like you said, like high interest rates, a- algorithmic interest rates. And uh, those are allowed to sort of set the rules, again, theoretically. In practice, I think we've seen that sometimes those things can, can go a little, little askew. But uh,
3: for me, that's kind of what DeFi means. Super interesting. Kiefer, I wanted to go back to one thing you said. You know, a lot of what you talked about was about the, the assets. Uh, but in your story, the thing that I took away was the intermediary is completely different in DeFi than it is with regular currency. Do you include uh, in your definition of DeFi all digital assets, as well as the the intermediary uh, the replacement of existing uh, traditional finance intermediaries, or do you see it more as the technology and the the systems that power those transactions?
2: Uh, I think it's definitely the technology and the systems, because if you were to make a metaphor to the traditional system, um, no one would consider a $5 bill to be finance; like it's just an object. Uh, but if you go to the bank and you take a loan out, suddenly it's finance. If you start a business loan, a small business loan, you buy a house, uh, you buy a car, then it becomes finance. Um, and, you know, DeFi is, it's more of the protocols and the systems and the technology that actually makes it DeFi. Uh, Bitcoin by itself is, it's just a $5 bill, but online.
3: Before we move on, was it a profitable transaction even with the 40% interest rate? Very. <laughs> okay.
2: I missed last year.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Mo, do you have any particular story that stands out for you and your own experience with DeFi? Um, Something that really illustrates uh, the value you see or the future? Uh, I think just how easily I was able to onboard
4: myself. Um, If I imagined when I was trying to use like TD Ameritrade to trade stocks and understanding that... um, my, my, my learning curve for, getting, for using Uniswap or for using any, any on-chain protocol was a lot easier. And maybe that's just a, a, a factor of, of who I am. But I, I thought that how quickly I was able to learn and then adapt and then be accepted within the community was, was different from how I perceived that same experience in
3: traditional finance. Interesting. I think a lot of people would say something similar about Web3 in general. You know, we talk a lot about Web3 being early. Obviously, it's growing at a more rapid rate sort of each year. You know, whether we're talking about interoperability, we're talking about NFTs, uh, or we're talking about decentralized finance. Uh, I'm curious, what projects do you think are ahead of the curve that are delivering value for people today?
2: so uh right now it's an interesting time to watch in DeFi because uh you know i think a a few years ago the decentralized lending was where that, that was where the new curve is that was what the new thing was and right now we're seeing a lot of like uh tokenization of real estate and real world assets that were typically financial assets in a lot of ways and uh watching how that integrates with um the brick and mortar governmental systems for instance because um Let's say you tokenize a deed of a home, for instance, and you have a legal dispute about the home. Ultimately, the county clerk's office and the county courthouse are the ones who are going to actually have to be the legal intermediaries, legal intermediary that are handling that. And um, how do we get them to both recognize and understand that there is a token holder that they have to represent and not a person with a real ID and as we watch real estate become integrated with these systems, I think that's where we're gonna see the current bleeding edge of uh, DeFi at the moment. And there's definitely a few great real estate protocols earlier today that we've heard from.
4: Uh, yeah, for me, I, I think projects that, that push value towards uh, other projects that are building useful products I think is, is where I'm at. So like Curve, for example, has created this like, really cool, I'm not, I'm not saying anything you know, new here, but yeah, Curve has created this, this model where, where they've incentivized people to put liquidity into projects that they believe in uh, through their, their gamified system. And I think if you look at the Curve pools, you'll see that the projects, the, the pools that have the deepest liquidity uh, are often tied to projects that have been the most successful in, in creating useful financial products. Interesting, have you used it personally? Curve? Yeah. Oh yeah, all the time. Um, I, I, if I'm gonna LP somewhere, I'm gonna LP in Curve because I don't have to worry about uh, impermanent loss. Um, I like the different rewards I get from Curve itself, from the projects that are, are incentivizing LPing in Curve pools. Um, I, think, I think all those factors make Curve like one of the more interesting projects for me personally. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I also would like to hop in and make a few comments about Curve as well, because one interesting thing that DeFi has done is it copies existing functions that we might have never had access to as individuals and creates them on chain where we can have access to them. Like the closest allegory to Curve in the real world is the, the current central banks that operate like Bank of Japan, the Federal Reserve, the ECB. They have swap desks that are very similar to Curve that they can use separate from the actual uh, you know, like what we would call uh, the regular trading market, like if you use Uniswap or uh, another market maker, for instance, you're affecting liquidity and prices. But on Curve, uh, most of the assets are uh, fairly flat in price um, and you're not changing the market as you enter. And that was a function that previously only central banks had access to. And now, us regular degenerates can log in at 3 a.m. or whenever it is that we do all our dirt and go on curve or wherever. And it's, it's beautiful watching these functions be, I'd say, democratized for the public. Interesting,
3: regular degenerate may be an oxymoron. Uh, but <laughs> I am curious, uh, you talked about uh, deGens entering. Uh, Mo, I'll ask you first, if somebody's not active in DeFi or not ap- active in Web3 at all, Uh, and they come to you and start asking questions, where do you recommend that they start?
4: Um, I think it depends, you know, just asking about crypto. What's cool is if you ask about crypto in general, that term is so broad now, it it almost necessitates the next question of like, okay, what do you mean in crypto? Do you mean Bitcoin? Do you mean NFTs? Do you mean like DeFi? Do you mean Ethereum DeFi, Solana DeFi? So, you know, if someone were to ask me about, about DeFi in particular, um, I think I think understanding an exchange like Uniswap and a lending protocol like like Aave or Compound is is like the most you know principal building block you can start with. At least that, that's where I tell people to go. So you start with
3: education. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Kiefer?
2: Yeah, I tend to start with uh, protocols like uh, Aave or Maker where there's on-chain lending. Especially Aave is great because the interest rates are transparent. Uh, You can see, you know, why the interest is what it is, you know, it's based on how much liquidity is provided and how much is being borrowed at any given moment. Uh, So it's a lot more open and understandable for people to look at it and say, oh, that's why the interest rate's going up because people are borrowing now. Whereas if you go to the bank, it's harder to explain to someone that, you know, uh, the Federal Reserve is tightening their assets and that's why your mortgage has gone up. Like it doesn't really compute as well with people. Whereas on chain, I think it's very straightforward and it's like number go down, interest rate go up, you know.
3: Interesting. Is there any product, um, sorry, DeFi product that somebody could come in and adopt today that they would get benefit out of that doesn't require research? Or is it strictly more of a financial product that people are going to have to ramp up on before they could get active?
2: So, you know, define research. Right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think you both just laid out the case. The first place you would send people is to read up. I mean, You can call it what you want, but... The average consumer doesn't do that uh, for most of their purchases. If they do, they read a few bullets to justify the purchase they've already decided to make or the place they've decided to go. I'm just wondering, is there any easy entry point for anyone in DeFi today or are we still a ways from that?
2: So I think people, for the complete layman, they really need to understand how to sign a transaction on crypto, how to verify where it's going and to verify the address make sure it goes from point a to point b understanding gas fees and how much it's going to charge each time you want to sign a new transaction and so you know once they understand all of that stuff it's fairly straightforward to say like you go here you deposit usdc say in a vault and you gain four and a half percent or whatever the prevailing interest happens to be at the time or if it's degen hours you gain 78 percent interest it really just depends but i uh, you know, when you say research, I want to make sure that people, if they understand blockchain and how to navigate from there, it's fairly straightforward to understand a new protocol. I, I just tend
4: to tell people who are, if they're that new to the the industry, I uh, just tell them to hold Ethereum. Really, uh, I think that's the easiest, simplest way to to uh, for someone who's new to the industry to uh, be exposed to any any good value. Uh, just because. I think anything else on top of Ethereum probably requires you understand how Ethereum works somewhat. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where I start. That's fair.
3: And I think, I mean, Ethereum, as, as Hubert just described, has its own entry point. Just being able to create a wallet, buying it, um, takes a certain amount of work on its own before you get there. If you move away from the consumer to the, the business side, or even the kind of the interoperability side between projects, is there anything there that's uh, delivering value for other, other projects, other companies, um, other protocols in the space? Anything stands out for you?
4: I recently uh, started looking into Index co-op, co- 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 Index Coop. Uh, they're like a DeFi uh, protocol that's building various indexes based on uh, just different categories, and I particularly liked their data uh, index, which was an index of, uh, of coins whose protocols specify, uh, specialize in data delivery, so things like the graph uh, and a couple others. Uh, and I think bucketing uh, coins into, into, into buckets like that could really help adoption going forward. It's, it's easier for me to understand, uh, or for the, or an individual to understand, like, okay, these, this index is specifically trading data. And so, you know, I don't know maybe how... An individual token or protocol works, but I understand that data is important. So I'm gonna I'm gonna invest in this in this data index. And um so I'm I'm really into what what they're doing at Index Co-op.
2: So when we start talking about the business side of DeFi, one thing that's fairly valuable to a lot of corporate entities is confidentiality in some form or another. And I know we're all here as degenerates, we're talking about public blockchains. But a lot of private blockchains end up being what delivers the value to corporate entities, especially if they want to, you know, start tokenizing some of the things they're doing. Before I left the utility energy space, um, I had been dabbling with a company whose name is totally escaping me right now. Uh, But what they did is they'd created their own private blockchain, and they were dealing with oil companies specifically to tokenize contracts for asset deliveries. Um, And so one of the values this provided for businesses was you could get invoiced directly on delivery. So you might like normally in the business world, there's like a 30 and net 30, net 45, net 60 payment cycle. So you might, let's say, deliver oil and everybody knows it's been delivered, but you don't get paid for one month, two months. Um, And for certain uh, contractors, there's a significant value in getting paid right away. Um, And then even beyond that, there's a lot of Okay, this sounds bad, but there's a lot of people who are doing things that could definitely be automated and freeing that labor for other things. And you know, you hear that and you think layoffs, but like, if you've ever dealt with a procurement department in business and you know this can all be pushed on chain and there's 60 people who are verifying contracts, checksums, and signing off on things... Uh, You know, it does create like a fairly significant value add for businesses to be able to uh, turn that to blockchain, especially since blockchain can be auditable like that. So you're not going through a significant auditing process where you've got to bring in an outside committee and you're asking the project developers to pull 19 random invoices that they don't even know where they are hidden in in a data room somewhere. And so a, a lot of the value to business I see right now is in expediting a lot of processes that are labor intensive or time intensive, that can be easily verified and agreed upon ahead of time. Like you can turn the entire terms of a contract into a smart contract, and if everyone agrees on the contract at the start, there's no uh, there's no room for major disputes at the end. Especially if, say, you've got a sensor on a pipeline, just measuring cubic footage of oil passing through the pipeline, uh, you can invoice essentially instantaneously and that's significant value for businesses
3: yeah it reminded me that uh you know walmart canada implemented the blockchain uh private blockchain there's a great case study i won't go into all of it here Uh, but to solve for a lot of those specific problems there are a lot of contractors subcontractors uh, invoice payment terms it's difficult to keep track of what things were delivered on which days and when people should be paid Uh, They implemented a system that solved for quite a bit of that, uh, completely verifiable. Uh, It's worth a read if anybody's interested in that space.
2: Absolutely. I've got one anecdote Dad, that people might find funny. Uh, There was a man who was arrested recently. He had been sending invoices to Facebook and Google that just said for currency transactions. And Facebook and Google didn't know what the invoices are for. These are companies who probably spend upwards of, you know, maybe 10 figures a year. They just paid the invoices. No idea. And this guy was getting away with it for five years. Uh, If this was on blockchain, it never would have happened. But uh, when you've got a a department that's getting probably 700 invoices a day, it's easy for things to slip through the cracks if it's going um, just based on human auditing. So moving that stuff to private blockchain is a significant value
3: add for businesses. So I was at Google, and I'm sure it's more than 700 invoices a day, but but I get the point. Uh, it brings up something else I think about a lot, though. It's easy for us to laugh at those kind of mistakes, um, to look at the wasted energy just reporting and passing that reporting from one company to another. But there's a there are some downsides to the blockchain. You say that could never happen, but there, I think, anybody in this room who's been watching uh, Web3, NFTs, or cryptocurrency for a week... You know, much less you know, half a year can point to a lot of scams, a lot of bad actors, and a lot of bad things that have happened. Um, we can also look at the traditional market. Uh, high-frequency trading has its own impact on the stock market and the value of companies. Where do you think the place for regulation is in DeFi? Like in that same example, the government can go and prosecute that person, potentially reclaim that money. Does that exist in DeFi, or is everybody? just on their own in the future. And we hope that someday it's perfect enough that nobody can scam it.
2: So regulation and KYC are both dirty words, especially to complete degenerates like me, but there is most definitely a space for that. Um, You know, when you start talking about regulatory entities, um, in the first panel, it was said there were 17 chapters behind, I tend to agree. They typically don't know what's going on right now. And um, rather than just kind of shutting them out and saying like, I want to be an outlaw in the Wild West riding my horsey, I'm a cowpoke. Instead, I, I do think there is room for compromise as we begin to uh, start teaching regulators like, hey, this is what's going on. This is what this means. This is how you regu- uh, This is how you check ownership on this chain and getting them to onboard certain features. And personally, I don't know how we do that, but I think it does have to start with a decent bit of lobbying and a willingness on our side to kind of like, Take the black flag down just a little bit and walk forward with a handshake first and see if that works.
3: It's funny to hear somebody pushing for a completely decentralized world referring to lobbying uh, and trying to get the government to change things. But I'm curious, Mo, what do you think? Uh, Do we need lobbyists?
4: Um... I don't know about lobbyists or... or right, maybe
3: more the general question then.
4: <laughs> I, I, did, I think one interesting thing that happened in the last week was Compound voted to remove three tokens because of uh, various metrics they didn't like. And I assumed that they were going to be like shit kind of tokens, but they weren't. It was like Maker, um, 0x, and a couple other tokens that surprised me. And so I think um, that was a positive sign in that I think protocols are set up inherently to... Regulate themselves, or even intake outside suggestions or or research in order to better protect them, themselves from malicious attacks. Um, I think there is room for regulations in the sense that um, someone from the SEC could theoretically be on the the, ca- the council that 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 that, p- that p- puts forth proposals in, in compound or whatever. But I don't think having an SEC-like group govern the entirety of DeFi makes sense from where I sit, um, but there's definitely room for compromise.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. And one thing I think people should think about is what is the purpose of the justice system? And uh, you know, after meditating on it, my thought was the purpose of the justice system is to lift the burden of vengeance from the shoulders of people aggrieved, and. So let's say we're in blockchain and we've tokenized a business and someone's figured out a way to write malicious code to send a false transaction to us. I think I'm signing to uh, mint a Hello Kitty NFT and instead I've just transferred a, um, I don't know, an NFT that represents a $9 million real world, real world asset. Um, if there is no justice system in place that can be fallen back on, this kind of devolves into like lynch mobs fairly quickly. And so I think that's the one benefit that we, we need to think about when we ask ourselves like, why are we trying to walk forward with a handshake first? Why are we trying to get regulators on board so they can understand, you know, uh, on-chain data itself and so they can understand like, what is a malicious transaction, what isn't? And how we define those things, I don't know the answer to, but I do think it's worth a try just to avoid, you know, Wild West justice per se.
3: So I know a lot of people won't agree, but I think a lot of what's a malicious transaction is already defined. We just haven't come to terms with what that means in the blockchain space, you know, but theft is theft, you know, theft on the blockchain also still theft. Um, But I think you brought up a great point. There's a difference between regulation uh, and the justice system. And there's probably a place for both in cryptocurrency and in decentralized finance, uh, but sometimes we talk about it all as one amorphous blob, and there may be better cases for one than the other. You know, we're just about out of time. Before we leave, I'd love to know what do the, each of you think. Um, what's coming in the next six to twelve months that'll have impact in the DeFi space? Mo, do you want to go first? Well, I'm going to be very biased because I think the, uh,
4: what DebtDAO is working on is is exactly what the space needs. <laughs> um, no, but in all seriousness, uh, the what DebtDAO is working to build is, is structured debt products. And what that means is uh, right now, all debt is over collateralized for the most part, uh, especially on-chain. And uh, at DebtDAO, we, we've built some solutions that will allow DAOs to leverage their cash flow to borrow uncollateralized. Uh, and I think that's going to do a lot of good in terms of allowing projects that are succeeding, have built products that actually are used and generate, generate income to allow them to grow their businesses, much like some, a business in the traditional finance world would easily do that right now. So um, I'm really excited for what we've got. And I think when we launch the next few months, you'll see a lot of, a lot of the, the, the more successful projects jump on pretty quickly and start um, shifting debt away from what it has been in DeFi towards what we've come to expect in the tra- traditional finance world.
3: That's great. Is there a launch date?
4: Um, we'll, we'll have a couple launches relatively soon, but as far as like open to the, to the whole world, I think sometime early next year, maybe the end of this year. Uh, no, okay. no promises, though.
3: <laughs> All right. We'll stay tuned. How about you, Kiefer?
2: Uh, so... Obviously, I'm looking forward to a bull market, but um, (laughs) if we're going to be really honest, I think I'm looking forward to the interoperability space the most. Um, You know, the one thing that we're missing out on on blockchain is the easy way to transact and communicate cross-chain without having to go to a centralized exchange. And, you know, it is a bit bit annoying to say, like, let's say you want to move ETH from one chain to another because you want to borrow on another chain. And if there happens to be no bridge and you have to go to a decent, a centralized exchange, it's a taxable transaction, just, you know, selling the ETH for the layer one, moving it over there. And all you really want to do is borrow. You're not making a real taxable transaction there, but it still appears as one. And, you know, also we have a lot of DeFi protocols that are kind of siloed or islanded, and um, they would benefit significantly from being able to talk and leverage collateral like across chain, um, also leveraging assets cross chain. And I think as that space opens up and the ability for light clients to become cheaper gas wise or to function through layer zero, like uh, the gentleman from two panels ago mentioned, I think we start to see uh, another significant growth in the blockchain space.
3: That's great. Well, Mo and I want to thank you both, both for being here today. Uh, Michael Johnstone is great. Thank you all for attending. And I think that's a wrap for us. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Another round of applause real quick.
0: Uh, We are going to be heading into our final panel of the day in about 10 minutes. So um, enjoy the quick break and then we will see you here in a minute.
1: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cryptocurrent. Cryptocurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. This show and any other CryptoCurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes.
0: Hey, CryptoCurrent crew. We want to give a quick shout out to all of our faithful listeners out there. It's been an amazing journey and we really appreciate your support throughout the years as we've been growing as a community. Each episode, we decided that we would start sharing some of the reviews that you were leaving for us. For today, we would like to share this review. Today's podcast review comes from Chikinzi. Nice podcast and a must-fall for everyone in the blockchain industry. We sincerely appreciate this review and all reviews and would like to ask that if you're enjoying our show, please take a quick moment to go and leave a review on our podcast so that hopefully we can be highlighting your review next. Simply go to our show notes or go to our website where we have a link where you can share your review today. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information on today's episode and all of our episodes, please visit us at www.crypto-current.co. You can also find a link in the show notes. Want to stay up to date on the latest news in cryptocurrency? Sign up for our newsletter today. You'll receive daily emails Monday through Friday that are personalized and curated content specific to you and your interest, powered by artificial intelligence. You can either go to our show notes or go to our website to sign up today. We would like to give a special shout out to our moon sponsor, Acacia Digital. Acacia invests in partners with early stage blockchain companies who are solving complex problems in large markets. Acacia partners with projects that have established technology and communities. Acacia supports public projects exhibiting strong momentum and capacity to grow into large markets. Acacia also directly participates in limited releases such as NFTs tied to unique experiences, access, or products. For more information, go to acaciadigital.io. Again, that's AcaciaDigital.io. Are you an accredited investor looking to invest in cryptocurrency? Crescent City Capital can help. Go to CrescentCityCapital.com for more information. I don't know if you've noticed, but the quality of our podcast each week are improving. I can only thank my amazing producer, Andrew DeRitter with DeRitter Productions, who has been putting all of this together. If you have any podcast, music, or audio needs, please go to DerridaProductions.com.